Last week we began a new series um, in terms of preaching and teaching. That was a series um, called The Life of Worship. And Pastor Gina shared that we were going to be preaching from the Psalms or looking at the Psalms, but we'd be reading from First and Second Samuel and looking at the life of King David who authored about half of the Psalms and just partnering them together. And that it wasn't going to be an exact science, uh, but the number of the Psalms, we know where they came from. And um, some of them are sort of best guesses. So we're, we're looking at a psalm that arises out of a particular situation and we're learning how to worship the Lord all the time. And just to jog our memory, last week's situation was David, this seventh child, uh, sort of unknown and not very highly regarded by his family, a shepherd, is seemingly out of nowhere, called by the prophet Samuel, and he's anointed to be king over Israel. What do you do with that? And the psalm that we looked at was Psalm 139, in which David worships God, says, you're everywhere, I can't go anywhere from your presence. And we looked especially at these words, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. And this sense that um, knowing the love of God, the love that God has for each one of us, being so important for living into the calling that God has on our life. God has a call for each one of us. First call is, come to me. Be my child. Receive my love. But then he's got gifts and he has purpose for us. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And he sends us out to use those gifts to share in the work of his kingdom. And he starts to give us success. And I want to, I want to tell you what the big idea of the sermon is before I start preaching this morning. The big idea of the sermon is worship, worshiping the Lord during times of success prevents tragic falls builds other people up and gives God all the glory that is due to him. Worshiping God when he's blessing you, when he's working through you during times of success, prevents tragic falls, builds other people up, and it brings glory, all the glory that's due to God to him. So before I read our text, which is Psalm 20, I need to briefly mention one other thing that's background for our sermon. And that is, you might remember, I think, I think two or three times over the last two years, I've either preached or, or talked about, there are two motifs of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. If you trace all that the Old Testament says about the work of the Holy Spirit, There are two main motifs. One of them is the Spirit's work within us to create righteous, holy character, to conform us to the work of God. And if you're looking in the Old Testament, most of the time it's lament that that character's not there. And there's a lot of prophecy looking forward to the day when God will give us new hearts. You think about Ezekiel. I'll put a new heart and a new spirit in you. And that will produce changed character, right? The other motif of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God coming upon people that, which then produces some action or some word or some, something that advances the purposes of God. 
It's not about changed character. You might remember Samson. He was quite a bad guy. But the Spirit of God came on him with strength, and he destroyed Israel's enemies. So there are these two motifs of the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament. They both culminate in Jesus, and then through Jesus are both at work in us as his followers. We receive his Spirit within so that we can be conformed to or become like Jesus. Romans 8. And his spirit also works to come upon us and empower us so that we can share in unique ways in the extension or the advancement of his kingdom here on earth. Now, why is that important for us to remember this morning? Because the story that this psalm is based on is the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. But what that story doesn't say and says actually earlier is the very end of the story before it, from that time on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David powerfully. And we'll get back to that. Let's read this psalm, and then we'll get into the story. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices, and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. God's word. I'm uh, reading a book that was recommended to me by Stephanie. It's called Mentoring Leaders, Wisdom for Developing Character, Calling, and Competency. It's by Carson Pugh. And Carson tells a story in this book that I read uh, on Friday about a young man named Doug. And uh, Doug is this fellow who, uh, growing up in the church, People look at and they say, boy, he's really got some gifts. And um, he really just has this sincere, humble heart. And so they start to recommend that he uses gifts in ministry. And Doug finds himself going to seminary. And when he's in seminary, people keep sort of affirming him. And and he gets called to use his gifts more. And um, his advisor says, you know, I really think you should take this position as an associate pastor in this such such and such church and sort of a well-known church. And so he takes this position and it just seems like everywhere he goes, um, there's blessing. God is blessing what he's doing. And um, he's he, he's regularly getting asked to, to speak and teach at outside conferences. And, and about a couple of years into his ministry, he senses the need to get some more education for what he's doing. So he goes back and he begins getting a, a doctorate in ministry and and God just keeps blessing. And five years in, he's elevated to this 
um, he's finishing his doctorate, and he's, he's offered a position by the denomination in, uh, in administration where he's, he's in a national position overseeing all kinds of people. And um, then this little change starts to happen in Doug. Just really slowly. But the people around him noticed it first. They said that he started wanting to be called Dr. Doug. And he started like having this fascination with showing the, the gadgets, the electronic gadgets that came with his position. And he started um, relating to people in a different way. And instead of relating directly over the phone or just talking face to face, his communication shifted and it was more indirect and email. And he just, just began to sort of become more and more unhealthy and more and more focused on himself. They said he started making decisions that would make him look good rather than advance the ministry of the, of the denomination. And uh, before he knew it, in a, in a short time, he found himself in this place where he was just alienated from everybody around him. And he started to be able to read the signs on the wall. And so before he could get let go or fired, he quit. And he took a brief stint in a church. That didn't last any longer uh, because they didn't recognize his giftedness. And so, you know, within a couple of years, he left the church. And he took a job with a, a corporation that seemed to really um, nurture his lust for power and recognition. And, and there we have this tragic story of the downfall of a leader who had real gifts and who the Lord is really working through. And um, I'm reading another book. Just pause that for a sec. I've read another book three times. This is a book that's um, had a profound influence on me. It's called Passage Through the Wilderness by Brad Long. And he talks about these seasons in our lives, and we all have them, where we're drawn or led into the wilderness. Not, not a literal desert, but a spiritual one. You remember that right after Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit sent him into the wilderness for testing. And God does this. It's a refining time for many of us. But Long says, we don't all make it through. We don't all come out on the other side of that wilderness having grown in character, having learned to depend on the Lord in everything. And he says there's a very real threat that we could, and and these are his words, that we could find ourselves on this scrap heap of God's saved but useless servants or children. No less loved by God. Never any less loved. But not usable because of what's taken place or not taken place in us. And so this um, opening story about Doug is about a leader, but what's true of leaders is true of all of us. There are these, these um, seasons and these ways uh, that we can be grown or we can sort of stagnate and not just stagnate, we can uh, tragically fall. And we're going to see that as we enter our text this morning because we start with king. We, no, not king. He's not king yet. We start with David being anointed to be king. But we've got to ask the question, why is he being anointed? Why was he anointed to be king? Just a few chapters earlier, Saul was anointed to be king. 
Saul was the one whom God had looked on with favor and said, you will lead my people. And it was only a few months into Saul's ministry where he'd been rejected by God as king. And so what happened, not rejected as a person, I want you to hear that, but rejected in terms of his usefulness in serving God. What happened? The Bible says that when Saul started, he was small in his own eyes. He had a very low opinion of himself. This isn't low self-esteem. This is just a right, a right humility. Who am I that I should govern, that I should lead? And then, not a few months later, God sends him out and says, Go destroy the Amalekites. And he goes and he obeys most of the way, but not all of the way. And Samuel, the prophet, goes out to confront him. And Samuel meets some people coming back from battle. And Samuel says, where's Saul? And what's this noise I hear? And they answer him and they say, Saul's up there. He's erected an image in his honor. How do you get from the place of being small in your own eyes, humble, to the place of erecting an image in your own honor. I don't, I don't um, see us here erecting images in our honor. But that doesn't mean that that's any less of a threat for us or that it's any less of a threat for David. So as we enter t- today's story, here's David. He's anointed king, but he's not king yet. And Israel goes out to battle, and if you read the story, what you read was, and I'll recap it for everyone who hasn't heard it, that for 40 days, the Israelite army is camped out across the valley from the Philistine army, and that the Philistine army has this huge man named Goliath. Goliath is nine foot, three inches tall. You see this cross? 9-11. He is 7 to 8 inches shorter than the top of that cross. I can't even reach his head if I jump. No, I'm I'm white and white people, I can't, white white men can't jump. but, But still, I can't reach his head. The guy wore a helmet that was 15 pounds. The Bible describes his armor as being incredibly heavy. He had a sword. This man could just kind of whoosh. And knock you over. And so every day he comes and he stands out in front of that Israelite army and he taunts them. And he says, come, send somebody. This is a common dynamic that Satan employs. He seeks to intimidate. When God calls you to something, when God calls a church or a group to something, when God says step out, when God leads us to engage There's always something to intimidate, something that could create fear. And it's working. The whole Israelite army is trembling in their boots, as it were. And here comes David, sent by his dad to bring some supplies to his brothers. And David comes and he he says, what is this that's going on? And Somebody tells him what's going on, repeats it to him. This is what Goliath is saying. And David says, David puts fear where it belongs. Not in Goliath, 
but in the Lord. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should dare defy the, the living God and his, and his armies? When he says, who's this uncircumcised? Circumcision was the sign of the covenant that God had made. So God had said, um, this will be my people. Right? So he's saying, who's this guy that doesn't know God and is taunting God's people? Who is he? And um, watch this. David's brothers hear what, hear what he says, and they're jealous. And, uh, he's, and one of them says to David, oh, you can, I know you. You're so conceited. Here's David seeking to honor the Lord, stepping out to bring honor to God, and immediately he's accused of being conceited. Now, here's another common dynamic. Just notice it. Actually, his brother's conceited, and he's jealous of David, and so he points the finger and names the thing that's in his heart. It doesn't deter David. He moves on, talks to another group of people. They say, this is what's happening. And David says, I'll fight him. And they say, okay. And they take him to King Saul, and he tells King Saul, and King Saul says, okay. Uh, here's my armor, and he puts it on David, and David tries it on, and he says, this is way too heavy. I can't wear this. And so he takes it off, and he gets five smooth stones and a sling, and he walks out, and he meets, he meets Goliath, and Goliath taunts him. And he looks at me, what am I, a dog, that you send out this little boy to fight me? And David, again, there's an opportunity for fear. Look at this. He's standing in front of somebody who could step on him. He could, if, he, if a man is that big, he could kick me over. There's an opportunity for fear here. But David's fear is in the right place of the living God. And so he stands before him and he prophesies. And he says, this day... Your head will be cut off. The Lord will defeat you. And the Bible says he runs toward him, flings a stone, sinks it in his forehead. He falls to the ground and David cuts off his head. And then all the Philistines flee. All the Israelites run after them and engage in battle. And Saul says, who was that guy? That just did that. And save it. David, the, the text ends with David being brought to Saul with Goliath's head in his hands. Now, aside from the fact that this is completely gross, And there's no pun intended here, but I've got to say it this way anyways. I think, I think this has got to be a little bit of a heady feeling for David. You, you just walked onto a battlefield, saw one man in, causing fear and intimidation in your whole army. You stepped in, in the power of the Lord, but you stepped in, you stepped up, you defeated him. You cut off his head. And now the whole army is in awe of you. Whoa. How does that feel? Like, talk about being the hero. 
How does that feel? And the question is, at this point, how's David going to respond? What's, what's going to go on in his heart? And here's how he responds. This is how he responds. We don't know if he wrote it right away or if he wrote it immediately, shortly afterwards, but this is his response. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help, grant you support, remember your sacrifices, give you the desires of your heart, make all your plans succeed. David takes the camera, as it were, and it's not on him at all. He focuses the camera entirely upon God, what God has done. And so he turns it into a prayer for blessing. And it's not clear, is this for the king? Because he ends with, Lord, give victory to the king, which in and of itself is incredible because he's been anointed king, but he's still serving the king. He's got a heart of humility, and he's praying for the king that he's supposed to replace. So is this for the king or is it for everybody? I think it's both. But he's got the camera on God. And he's, and he's saying, may God do these things for you that he just did for me. In other words, there's this recognition. We were all in distress. I was in distress. God answered. God delivered. God protected. God sent help. God remembered. God gave the desires of mine and our hearts. And we can shout for joy. And then he says, now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with victorious power of his right hand. This I know. Not this I know. Whoo! I am pretty amazing. Like, did you see the way that I flung that? I mean, it was straight as an arrow. First shot. Like, that was pretty cool. And then I ran up. And I wasn't sure if he was dead, but, you know. David hasn't got the camera on himself at all. And there is so much room for having the camera on himself. If he doesn't know he's fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is the tie. If we are not steeped in the love of Jesus Christ the love that he has for us, we will be tempted when God gives us success to draw some of the credit. We might not say it like I just did. That's too obvious. And we know that people don't like that, right? <laughs> well, it's just too glaring when we just point, point at ourselves and, and say, hey, people, like, that was pretty, I was pretty awesome, wasn't I? You know, worship me. We don't do that. But we have many, many subtle ways of looking for not encouragement, because encouragement we all need and we need to give, but looking for validation that what I did somehow says I'm special. You know what I'm talking about. When God starts to use us to share in the work of his kingdom, it feels good. It feels good. So maybe God gifts you with wisdom regularly, and you just see that when you open your mouth, and you share things, they bring light to the situation. They help move it in the right direction, make a decision, and that feels good. 
Or maybe God works through you to gift you with extraordinary faith so that you are able to give generously beyond what might seem normal for someone of your income level. And it feels good to give. It feels good to be a vessel of God's helping other people out. Or maybe God gifts you with boldness and courage so that you are able to speak words of truth regularly in your workplace, in your school, wherever God has you. He seems to give you a clarity and a boldness to represent him. And you bring truth. And when you speak, it shapes the environment and it shapes lives. And you, that feels good. It feels good. Or maybe you are someone that God just seems to fill with compassion. You have this tender heart of mercy and you care for people so well. You envelop them in hugs and in love and you make them feel nurtured and supported and it just feels wonderful to love on people. Or maybe you are somebody who God has just given a great ability to serve. You you serve. Wherever there's a need, you find it, you meet it, you over and over and over you serve. You're a servant like Jesus. And that feels good. It feels good to serve. Doesn't it? But if we aren't rooted first in the love, the all-encompassing love of Jesus Christ, we will begin to look for validation, for affirmation, for a, a giving of honor to us instead of to the Lord. And David shows us in this psalm that when God blesses us, our role is to point the finger toward God and to say, this is what God has done. This is who God is. I pray God does this for you. And I want to just backtrack quickly and say um, one thing about all of that fruitfulness, about God working through you and it feeling good. That's God's will for you. That's what he wants. When Jesus says in his last words to his disciples, he says, remain in me and let my words remain in you and you will bear much fruit. And this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. God's desire for us, whatever his calling... David had a calling, we have callings. David had gifts, we have gifts. Whatever our calling and gifts, God's desire is that we be fruitful. He wants, to, he wants to bless others through us, and he wants us to partake in that blessing. He wants us to be filled with that joy. So it's not a matter of whether or not. He wants to, he's anointed all of us, and he wants us to be succeeding. But when we succeed, he wants the worship. He wants the worship. And that worship is what will prevent um, us from tragic falls into this, what Long calls this scrap heap of saved but useless servants. But it won't also, it won't just prevent that, um, that, that, that tragic falls. I think it's got other good fruit. And here's some of the other fruit. I'm going to close with two pieces of, of uh, two other reasons why we worship God 
in times of success. Because as you sit here this morning, maybe the person that you identify with in this story is not David. Maybe the person that you identify with in this story is one of the Israelite soldiers who's sitting there quaking in their boots. Who has something in front of them that's causing them fear. Whether it's job-related, whether it's relationship-related, whether it's work-related, whether it's income-related, whether it's housing-related, there's something in front of you that's causing fear. There's something that's causing struggle to trust in the Lord and His provision. And you need somebody like David to come along and say, I'm going to put fear in its proper place. This enemy is going to be defeated. And when it's defeated, I'm going to worship the Lord for what he did. And so here's what happens. When, you, when God blesses you and you testify and you worship the Lord, somebody else gets built up. Somebody else hears who God is and how he's willing to work. David says these words, may the Lord answer you when you're in distress. Because he answered me. Oh, he did? How? Well, they all saw it. You know, but when we testify, when we say, this is, what, this is who God is, this is what he does, may he do it for you, then you go, yeah, may he. Yeah, eyes on Jesus, right? So worship in times of success will draw others along with you. If you worship the Lord, and here's the thing, David's doing it publicly. I think we worship the Lord too much in private, alone. I think we need to have more public testimony to God's faithfulness. And whether that's creating time in our worship service or creating other venues, or this isn't the only community. You're in a lot of communities. You've got a community of family, your family. You've got a community maybe at work, and maybe that is or isn't a venue. Maybe it could be. And you've got this community. Whatever communities God's placed us in, those communities have different needs for hearing. And we've got to testify. We have to speak. Speaking changes the atmosphere. That's right. Thanks, Carolyn. <laughs> it does. Because if David doesn't speak, everybody present is left to think David's pretty awesome. Remember, here's where we get back to those words the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You know what? Spirits are invisible. You don't see them. Nobody saw the Spirit of the Lord come on David. Here's the thing. Nobody saw the Spirit of the Lord empower him, fill his heart with holy boldness. Nobody saw the Spirit give him that perfect aim. You don't see that. And so if you don't testify when God does something through you or in your life, people around you are, are tempted to think, she's pretty amazing. Look at that, you know, and give you the credit or the success. And you don't want that. It's empty to receive that. It doesn't build anyone else up. So here's the third thing. When you give that glory to where it rightly belongs, um, there's a fullness that develops in you and in the atmosphere. Ephesians chapter 4 says, uh, one Lord, we've, we've got one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all and through all. 
And there's this sense as you read that, that um, Paul wants God to be magnified for being all in all. The creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the redeemer of all things, the giver of all good gifts, all, 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 right? And he's worthy. So when we get to Revelation, we read, Worthy are you, the Lamb who was slain, to receive all glory, all power, all honor, all strength. It's all yours. And when we give it to God, we get filled. So I want you to test this. It's so beautiful. God gave us an example of this this morning. We were singing, we exalt thee. And there was this, there was this um, bubbling up of exaltation. And so we gave it to the Lord. And it was an extended time. And I don't know if you could sense, but the, the presence of the Lord was strong, sweet, full, encouraging. And every time somebody else exalted the Lord, we got built up by that, right? So God's designed it so that when he gets the glory, we get filled, we get built up. And the lie that we often believe is, if I give something away, I'll feel empty. If I build someone else up or if I give glory to God, it'll draw away from me. You know, that derives from not knowing that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You will never be more loved than you are right now. You'll never be more loved than you were the day you were born. But we've got to be steeped in that love drinking it daily in order to give worship to God. So I'm calling, I'm going to end here, I'm simply calling us to be a worshiping community that as God continues to bless us individually, in our families, and as a church, that we would just over and over say, this is our God. He answers in times of distress. He protects us. He blesses. He does this. He does that. And that we'll testify. And that testimony will be on our lips. And as we do that, God will keep us humble. He'll keep us to knowing it isn't about us. It's not about my gifts. Not about your gifts. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. He'll keep us humble. He'll keep us encouraging each other. And he'll keep us full. Even in times of distress, we'll be full because we're worshiping. And when you're worshiping, your eyes, your heart are on the one who can meet every need, who has all love, all gifts, all provision, all everything. So let's end by worshiping him. I will lead us in prayer, and then Lindsay will lead us to worship the Lord. Lord, we do exalt you. We exalt you in this place. We exalt you in our hearts. And we say that you are worthy Worthy are you from before the foundations of the world. You were. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You know all things. You see all things. And yet you love us. And you love us perfectly. You care for us perfectly. God, we pray that we would be a people who would be filled, even anointed, to worship and to exalt you. That we would be a people um, that point continually to you. And that in the pointing, draw others with us.
Lord, we can look ahead and we can see a day when the river of your love and the gospel about Jesus is flowing so widely through this neighborhood where hundreds and thousands are drawn in to who you are. So God, fill us with the praise of your name. Fill us. We pray, glorify yourself.